This is the SFF Audio Podcast. This excellent recording of the statement of Randolph Carter by H.P. Lovecraft comes to us from Audio Realms, who graciously allowed us to include it here. It's narrated by the incomparable Wayne June. If you haven't heard June narrate a Lovecraft story, you're in for a treat. Stay tuned after the story for a discussion. The Statement of Randolph Carter by H.P. Lovecraft Read by Wayne June Again, I say, I do not know what has become of Harley Warren, though I think, almost hope, that he is in peaceful oblivion, if there be anywhere so blessed a thing. It is true that I have for five years been his closest friend and a partial sharer of his terrible researches into the unknown. I will not deny, though my memory is uncertain and indistinct, that this witness of yours may have seen us together, as he says, on the Gainesville Pike, walking toward Big Cypress Swamp at half-past eleven on that awful night. That we bore electric lanterns, spades, and a curious coil of wire with attached instruments, I will even affirm, for these things all played a part in the single hideous scene which remains burned into my shaken recollection. But of what followed, and of the reason I was found alone and dazed on the edge of the swamp next morning, I must insist that I know nothing save what I have told you over and over again. You say to me that there is nothing in the swamp or near it which could form the setting of that frightful episode. I reply that I knew nothing beyond what I saw. Vision or nightmare it may have been. Vision or nightmare I fervently hope it was, yet it is still all that my mind retains of what took place in those shocking hours after we left the sight of men. And why Harley Warren did not return, he or his shade, or some nameless thing I cannot describe, alone can tell. As I have said before, the weird studies of Harley Warren were well known to me, and to some extent shared by me. Of his vast collection of strange, rare books on forbidden subjects, I have read all that are written in the languages of which I am master, but these are few compared with those in languages I cannot understand. Most, I believe, are in Arabic, and the fiend-inspired book which brought on the end, the book which he carried in his pocket out of the world, was written in characters whose like I never saw elsewhere. Warren would never tell me just what was in that book. As to the nature of our studies, must I say again that I no longer retain full comprehension? <laughs> it seems to me rather merciful that I do not, for they were terrible studies which I pursued more through reluctant fascination than through actual inclination. Warren always dominated me, and sometimes I feared him. 
I remember how I shuddered at his facial expression on the night before the awful happening when he talked so incessantly of his theory why certain corpses never decay but rest firm and fat in their tombs for a thousand years. But I do not fear him now, or I suspect that he has known horrors beyond my ken. Now I fear for him. Once more I say that I have no clear idea of our object on that night. Certainly it had much to do with something in the book which Warren carried with him, that ancient book in undecipherable characters which had come to him from India a month before. But I swear I do not know what it was that we expected to find. Your witness says he saw us at half-past eleven on the Gainesville Pike, headed for the Big Cypress Swamp. This is probably true, but I have no distinct memory of it. The picture seared into my soul is one of scene only, and the hour must have been long after midnight, for a waning crescent moon was high in the vaporous heavens. The place was an ancient cemetery, so ancient that I trembled at the manifold signs of immemorial years. It was in a deep, damp hollow, overgrown with rank grass, moss, and curious creeping weeds, and filled with a vague stench which my idle fancy associated absurdly with rotting stone. On every hand were the signs of neglect and decrepitude, and I seemed haunted by the notion that Warren and I were the first living creatures to invade a lethal silence of centuries. Over the valley's rim, a wan, waning crescent moon peered through the noisome vapors that seemed to emanate from unheard-of catacombs, and by its feeble, wavering beams I could distinguish a repellent array of antique slabs, urns, cenotaphs, and mausoleum facades, all crumbling, moss-grown, and moisture-stained, and partly concealed by the gross luxuriance of the unhealthy vegetation. My first vivid impression of my own presence in this terrible necropolis concerns the act of pausing with Warren before a certain half-obliterated sepulcher and of throwing down some burdens which we seem to have been carrying. I now observed that I had with me an electric lantern and two spades, whilst my companion was supplied with a similar lantern and a portable telephone outfit. No word was uttered for the spot and the task seemed known to us, and without delay we seized our spades and commenced to clear away the grass, weeds, and drifted earth from the flat, archaic mortuary. After uncovering the entire surface, which consisted of three immense granite slabs, we stepped back some distance to survey the charnel scene, and Warren appeared to make some mental calculations. Then he returned to the sepulchre and, using his spade as a lever, sought to pry up the slab lying nearest to a stony ruin which may have been a monument in its day. He did not succeed and motioned me to come to his assistance. Finally, our combined strength loosened the stone which we raised and tipped to one side. 
The removal of the slab revealed a black aperture from which rushed an effluence of miasmal gases so nauseous that we started back in horror. After an interval, however, we approached the pit again and found the exhalations less unbearable. Our lanterns disclosed the top of a flight of stone steps dripping with some detestable ichor of the inner earth and bordered by moist walls encrusted with nitre. And now for the first time my memory records verbal discourse, Warren addressing me at length in his mellow tenor voice, a voice singularly unperturbed by our awesome surroundings. I'm sorry I'll have to ask you to stay on the surface, he said, but it would be a crime to let anyone with your frail nerves go down there. You can't imagine even from what you've read and from what I've told you the things I shall have to see and do. It's fiendish work, Carter, and I doubt if any man without ironclad sensibilities could ever see it through and come up alive and sane. I don't wish to offend you, and heaven knows I'd be glad enough to have you with me, but the responsibility is in a certain sense mine, and I couldn't drag a bundle of nerves like you down to probable death or madness. I tell you, you can't imagine what the thing is really like. But I promise to keep you informed over the telephone of every move. You see, I have enough wire here to reach the center of the earth and back. I can still hear in memory those coolly spoken words, and I can still remember my remonstrances. I seemed desperately anxious to accompany my friend into those sepulchral depths yet he proved inflexibly obdurate. All this I can still remember, though I no longer know what manner of thing we sought. After he had obtained my reluctant acquiescence in his design, Warren picked up the reel of wire and adjusted the instruments. At his nod I took one of the latter and seated myself upon an aged, discolored gravestone close by the newly uncovered aperture. Then he shook my hand, shouldered the coil of wire, and disappeared within that indescribable ossuary. For a minute I kept sight of the glow of his lantern and heard the rustle of the wire as he laid it down after him. But the glow soon disappeared abruptly, as if a turn in the stone staircase had been encountered, and the sound died away almost as quickly. I was alone yet bound to the unknown depths by those magic strands whose insulated surface lay green beneath the struggling beams of that waning crescent moon. I constantly consulted my watch by the light of my electric lantern and listened with feverish anxiety at the receiver of the telephone, but for more than a quarter of an hour heard nothing. Then a faint clicking came from the instrument, and I called down to my friend in a tense voice. Apprehensive as I was, I was nevertheless unprepared for the words which came up from that uncanny vault in accents more alarmed and quivering than any I had heard before from Harley Warren. He who had so calmly left me a little while previously now called from below in a shaky whisper more portentous than the loudest shriek. God! If you could see what I'm seeing. 
I could not answer. Speechless, I could only wait. Then came the frenzied tones again. Carter, it's terrible, monstrous, unbelievable. This time my voice did not fail me, and I poured into the transmitter a flood of excited questions. Terrified, I continued to repeat, Warren, what is it? What is it? Once more came the voice of my friend, still hoarse with fear, and now apparently tinged with despair. I can't tell you, Carter. It's too utterly beyond thought. I dare not tell you. No man could know it and live. Great God, I never dreamed of this. Stillness again, save for my now incoherent torrent of shuddering inquiry. Then the voice of Warren in a pitch of wilder consternation. Carter, for the love of God, put back this slab and get out of this if you can. Quick, leave everything else and make for the outside. It's your only chance. Do as I say, and don't ask me to explain. I heard, yet was able only to repeat my frantic questions. Around me were the tombs and the darkness and the shadows. Below me, some peril beyond the radius of the human imagination. But my friend was in greater danger than I, and through my beer I felt a vague resentment that he should deem me capable of deserting him under such circumstances. More clicking, and after a pause, a piteous cry from Warren. Beat it! For God's sake, put back this slab and beat it, Carter! Something in the boyish slang of my evidently stricken companion unleashed my faculties. I formed and shouted a resolution. Warren, brace up, I'm coming down. But at this offer, the tone of my auditor changed to a scream of utter despair. Don't, you can't understand, it's too late, and my own fault. Put back this lab and run, there's nothing else you or anyone can do now. The tone changed again, this time acquiring a softer quality, as of hopeless resignation. Yet it remained tense through anxiety for me. Quick, before it's too late. I tried not to heed him. I tried to break through the paralysis which held me, and to fulfill my vow to rush down to his aid. But his next whisper found me still held inert in the chains of stark horror. Carter, hurry. It's no use. You must go. Better one than two. The slab. A pause. More clicking. Then the faint voice of Warren. Nearly over now. Don't make it harder. Cover up those damned steps and run for your life. You're losing time. So long, Carter. Won't see you again. Here Warren's whisper swelled into a cry, a cry that gradually rose to a shriek fraught with all the horror of the ages. Curse these hellish things, legions! My God, beat it, beat it, beat it! After that was silence. I know not how many interminable eons I sat, stupefied, whispering, muttering, calling, screaming into that telephone. 
Over and over again through those eons I whispered and muttered, called, shouted and screamed, Warren! Warren! Answer me! Are you there? And then there came to me the crowning horror of all, the unbelievable, unthinkable, almost unmentionable thing. I have said that eons seemed to elapse after Warren shrieked forth his last despairing warning, and that only my own cries now broke the hideous silence. But after a while there was a further clicking in the receiver and I strained my ears to listen. Again I called down, Warren, are you there? And in answer heard the thing which has brought this cloud over my mind. I do not try, gentlemen, to account for that thing, that voice. Nor can I venture to describe it in detail, since the first words took away my consciousness and created a mental blank which reaches to the time of my awakening in the hospital. Shall I say that the voice was deep, hollow, gelatinous, remote, unearthly, inhuman, disembodied? What shall I say? It was the end of my experience, and is the end of my story. I heard it, and knew no more. Heard it as I sat petrified in that unknown cemetery in the hollow, amidst the crumbling stones and the falling tombs, the rank vegetation and the miasmal vapors. Heard it well up from the innermost depths of that damnable open sepulcher as I watched amorphous, necrophagous shadows dance beneath an accursed waning moon. And this is what it said. I'm Scott. I'm Jesse. I'm Tamahome. I'm Jenny with a blog called Reading Envy. And I'm Mr. Jim Moon of Hypnagoria.com. Mm. Hello. Have Hello, you folks everybody. Here? We almost hey. have enough for a football side here, everybody. <laughs> yeah. So uh, get your You're cleats talking on. You're like soccer, right? Yeah. Okay. Yes, I am. So. All right. Uh, as far away from soccer as we can get is H.P. Lovecraft, who I don't <laughs> suspect ever played soccer. Or sports. <laughs> he probably played rugby. Mm-hmm. I have a feeling. But he was a uh, nerd. Did everybody get a chance to, to listen to the MP3 I sent? Mm-hmm. Yes. No, I, I did yes. not. I read it in print. Oh, my. Scott, you're Sorry, I just haven't, I haven't even downloaded it yet. It's oh, been a wow. very, very busy week. It will be lots in and front lots of, of hours. Uh, what we're talking about here today. Mm-hmm. So everyone who is listening to the podcast straight through will know exactly what we're talking about. Scott, you won't, but cool. uh, but it is Mr. it is narrated by Mr. Wayne June. Is that right? Yeah, Mr. Wayne June, basically the voice of Lovecraft uh, audiobooks, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you guys think of the reading? I thought he was Michael Clark Duncan from Daredevil, who played Kingpin. <laughs> He's a deep, deep, dark voice. Yes, yes, very swarthy. All right, all right. <laughs> yeah, I think you, I think you have to have a dark, deep voice to read Lovecraft. It's like essential. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think there, there are other ways you could go. Uh, you could go like um, a crazy, 
kind of voice. Sure. Like Pat Bettino would be a good example. <laughs> I love his voice. I think that would work very well for someone who's had their mind blasted, you know. Uh, but he certainly got the creepy voice, and it works really well. I, I think it's fantastic reading. Yeah. That's from Audio Realms, by the way, The mm-hmm. Dark Worlds of H.P. Lovecraft, Volume 3. Yeah, I can't recall how many volumes they have, but I've heard... I think it's six. I think Volumes 1 and 2 is what I've heard. and um, Terrific. Absolutely great. Yeah. Really good stuff. So who who's never read here an H.P. Lovecraft story prior to this one? Me. I, I'm a Lovecraft virgin. <laughs> Jenny? Yeah, I've read some of the... The Arkham stuff. Okay. Before, yeah, it's been a while. And Jim Moon, you've read lots of it before, right? Lots and lots and lots. I had a long, <laughs> a long suspicion about that. Yeah. <laughs> this is one of my favorite stories. Um, I think it's a really good place to start with Lovecraft because it's really short, and you get you get sort of a lot of the idea of what he's doing with his fiction. What do you think? Is there a better story out there? Well, this is one of his earlier ones, isn't it? Yeah, it's from um, 1919. 1919, and, you know, the Cthulhu stuff came after this, or? Yeah, a little bit after, I would yeah, say. It's yeah, yeah. Developed. But, I mean, you you get a little bit of the uh, the mythos-style stuff. I mean, he's got... Oh, sure you do, yeah. Books, books with, um, you know, Arabic uh, uh, forbidden writings in them. Yeah. Sort of thing. Languages they do not know. Yeah. And, uh, uh, the Cryptonomicon. Yeah. And then the, the Nameless Things... That he has all kinds of adjectives for, mm-hmm. but are not named. Yeah. Yep. So that, yeah, that stuff carries on throughout his career, I would say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, really find, like I find his, this uh... much more horrifying than I do, like, Poe, Edgar Allan mm-hmm. Poe. You know, like the Telltale Heart, you know, th- this story is much more scary to me than uh, the Telltale Heart, for example. Yeah, I, I think that that makes sense because, I mean, the way the horror in this story works, it's all in your head, right? Mm-hmm. There's, I mean, there's lots of <coughs> adjectives, but there isn't a noun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there isn't a yeah, I, like, I like the mystery, how things are left to your imagination. Absolutely. Well, Very it's probably obscure. a lot more scary to be in the swamp in the dark. Mm-hmm. In a graveyard than it is to be in your house, <laughs> you know. In the, <laughs> yes, the Poe yeah. one is in your house, in yeah, the house. So. Yeah. yeah, that's true. It is true. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to before we, you know, sort of get into the nitty gritty. I want to give you a radical thesis. I was thinking about this morning. Um, I think that maybe Harley Warren is a really bad practical joker. <laughs> what do you think about that? I mean, think of think of you know his poor friend. Randolph Carter, right? He says, let's go down into the deep, scary woods um, and with a couple of spades and, and, I'll, uh, and I'll take this telephone because I know you will be too scared to go down there, right? He knows his friend very well. So they go down. He's probably been there before. They goes down into this deep, dark hole and, and then starts, you know, raving like a lunatic about how scary everything is. I mean, it's very clear that the, the narrator of the story is good at scaring himself with all the descriptive adjectives he he does and and it's sort of like a practical joke gone wrong because he actually made our main character freak out so much like he was going to come out after he says warren you fool (laughs) 
Warren is dead, you fool, right? He's going to come back out of the pit and start laughing. But what happened was he, you know, uh, our main character, Randolph Carter, broke with reality and took off into the woods and, and now is in a mental hospital. What do you think about that? Is that a possible interpretation? Does that fit the fact? Well, I think it, it could be true, except for the fact that he's clearly telling a story to someone to kind of excuse himself for not knowing where he is. And, you know, it's true. It's the last time I saw him, we were going to the swamp, but I don't know where he is. <laughs> you know, it kind of reads like a police statement. Oh, yeah. I think it's a police mm-hmm. statement. Absolutely. So where is he? Well, he's... Yeah, I mean, you're, you're in, you know, that seems to render the whole thing kind of meaningless to me. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to find the, the meaningless version and then uh, give us that one. Well, the reason... Yeah, it's the disappointing. Reason, <laughs> <laughs> the reason I thought that that It's that like a, been, a turn of the screw. Remember a turn of the screw? Yeah. What if she was just crazy or yeah. something, you know? If, you, if, if she is just crazy, then this whole story is pointless, right? Right, right. Whenever you say somebody's just crazy... It's a pointless story. However, um, I I think just like the way it's set up, why did they bring those telephones with them, right? There's no reason for it. Just To you know, communicate. Yeah, but he wasn't planning on leaving them down there. I, it didn't sound that way to me. Huh. <laughs> Jim doesn't like this thesis, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's an intriguing one, certainly. <laughs> but, uh... <laughs> But he's a hell of a prankster, Warren, because he oh, took man. to a place no one else can find. And That's true. To say, the cemetery they went to doesn't seem to exist anywhere. That's true. Which is, that's pretty good. Top's candid camera. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, the setting. Um, apparently, Big Cypress Swamp is a real place. It's in oh, yeah. Florida. I've never been there, of course. But um, Gainesville sounds like a real place. I would guess that that's a... And your account. Yeah, yes, it is. It is. Okay. Uh, is there any significance to it being set in Florida? Um, from what I've read, because this was originally based almost verbatim on a dream Lovecraft had. Mm-hmm. And the original dream, it was a New England cemetery. Um, but he, the people he was writing to, they saw the first draft, um, were based in the, the southern states. And so he changed the setting. So it would be more familiar to them. Hmm. Hmm. That sounds, yeah, that sounds like it makes sense. Um, so we've got a, a, a big swamp. I assume big cypress swamp is big. <laughs> um, and I, it I, may- I think it's part of the Everglades or it's close to them. It's just, uh-huh. it's a, it's a national preserve. So it has its own name. Yeah. And so, I, you know, all the mossy trees and the alligators and, that's the kind of setting. Yeah, you didn't mention any alligators in the story, but <laughs> maybe funny. that's what was down there. <laughs> what do you think? It's possible. There's another story called uh, Imprisoned with the Pharaohs that has mummified alligator men that a similar narrator, he goes into a subterranean crypt and gets ambushed by. So. Ah, interesting. <laughs> yeah. I'm very, I'm very curious about why, you know, the way that the ending of the story works, we've got the ca- the character of Harley Warren he's down in the in the bottom of the depths and he's he's describing what's happening to him very loosely and he sort of says uh, something like I 
it's nearly over now, whatever it is. Um, and he says, it's terrible. And then he says, these hellish things. So it's like there's a single thing, and then there's many things. What do you guys think? What's going on down there? Well, there's a confusion in the text, because it makes reference to they're going to do this thing, which mm-hmm. Carter can't remember what it is. Right. And so this kind of, presumably he's going to get some artifact or visit some subterranean shrine to forgotten gods. Sure. But also down there, there are things that live there. Yeah, I mean, it's so a tomb, right? So mm-hmm. there's something down there, presumably. And yet there's also a staircase? Well, this is quite common in Lovecraft, that there's these secret places that cultists and people in prehistory built going into the bowels of the earth. And in Lovecraft, going into the bowels of the earth often takes you into other dimensions. Yeah, he says there's, uh, he's got enough cable to meet, get to the center of the earth. And it takes him 15 minutes to get down there, right? Wherever he's yeah, going. Yeah. That's a long staircase. <laughs> and he says he's going to do some terrible things, so maybe he's going to cut open some dead bodies or something. I'm not sure what his plan was. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's all up to your imagination. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I described this story to you, Tom, I said, I said he's being digested or something. Right. <laughs> uh, and I'm not sure if that means there's like a thousand little things, because he says there's legions of them. And a legion is, you know, not mm-hmm. a, it's, a, it's, it's many. Right? That's what a legion is, mm. as many. Yeah, and a legion brings to mind the Bible because of demons being legion in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. It just, you know, the use of that word brings forth the New Testament, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, actually, there's a demon known as legion. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's what we're looking at here. Yeah. But the thing is, is Lovecraft isn't really a guy who, who uses the Bible as his inspiration. You know, his stories aren't, um, like, he doesn't have devil, the devil. He has devils, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, and they're he not. He sure likes archaic language, though. Oh, man, he loves it. <laughs> mm-hmm. He loves it. In fact, uh, this morning I, I got, Tama <clears throat> sent a list of things he was being, you were looking up, necrophages and such, uh, different, uh, different words. Um, I I, out of curiosity, did a search and I found a website called, um, I think it's uh, Quiz Me or something like that, and it it has a bo- Love, Lovecraft vocabulary test <laughs> to see see if you can recognize, you know, multiple choice what these very archaic words mean. And I was about halfway through, and I'm thinking I'm not going to do very well, even though <laughs> I'm a big fan of Lovecraft and I've read a lot of it. I think I know all the words in this story. Yeah, actually, you imported this to an iPad, so you can just like touch a word in the uh, Kindle app, and it oh. pops up the definition right away. Oh, that's easy. Although, although some of them weren't in there. Yeah, uh, I mean, a lot of them are very archaic or yeah. or such. Um, but yeah, it didn't have necrophages. Well, a phage is something that uh, a phage is something that eats, and necro yeah. is just dead, so it's right. a carrion eater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I looked up a few in the OED. Mm-hmm. Because like niter, I I don't even know if you say that right, yeah, yeah. and that's kind of like an outdated use of the word. Like it's not what it would refer to anymore. So potassium. I wanted to know what it meant back then. You know, um, and a potassium nitrate. I mean, I've never seen it growing in the wild, but it's basically uh, 
from bat guano or bird guano. You know, it's it's a uh, byproduct of defecation, I think. Mm-hmm. Not sure. So maybe that's a hint. <laughs> you know, maybe maybe the walls are covered with fat for a reason. Well, or maybe that's just the off the off product of uh, eating dead people. I think you know it's it's probably something in real catacombs because in uh, Edgar Allan Poe's story, um, uh, the Cask of Amontillado, the the catacombs under under um, the main character's house are filled with nitre, and apparently hmm. they're bad for your it's bad for your lungs or something. I don't know exactly, but. I get the sense that it's gross. Yeah. Mm, nope. As in disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that the end of the story? Have we, have we completely exhausted the... Oh, no, I have a really big question, actually, because we don't <sighs> know. Did he cover up, did he cover up the slab? <laughs> oh, yeah. Because his friend is mm-hmm. t- saying it's your only hope cover yeah. it back up don't let these things out and you never Uh-oh. really you might have left the door open yeah, yeah. So the end of the world do you think yeah <laughs> <laughs> well, whatever cool. it is they're they're fairly slow i mean the, he's he's down there for a long time right and mm-hmm. he's on the phone being digested or whatever's going on down there is taking quite a bit of time <laughs> so yeah, jenny yeah. was wondering what the wire was in the beginning, I thought it was like two cans or something, but then I, I saw the oh, word telephone later. It's an old telephone. It's an old. Oh. Uh, yeah, he's not but... going to get any cell phone signal down there. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you could tell this story today. I mean, I think it's sort of uh, it is very dreamlike, uh, and that you know that explains sort of why the uh, why why the story is the way it is. I think better than uh, that Harley Warren is a real practical joker. <laughs> um, <laughs> But uh, I, I'm a big fan of this story. I use it at school. Um, to scare the kids? <laughs> uh, to show that uh, basically how, um, how you can determine what the meaning of a word is by uh, looking at its suffixes, uh, prefixes, and affixes. You know, necro means uh, dead, like a necromancer, right? And I usually use, um, uh, I take something that they already know, like um, uh, Harry Potter. Usually they know Harry Potter. And I talk about how the different um, characters in Harry Potter and different uh, place names in Harry Potter are cleverly named. This is one thing I think J.K. Rowling did a very good job at, is, is naming her characters. Um, so uh, she takes the the connotation of what a name gives us and makes that clear in the character. So Harry Potter's a poor example, the actual name of the character, but all the bad guys have good bad guy names. I mean, it's kind of like the way, uh, I guess, Darth Maul, right? (laughs) To maul someone is to hurt them. Now, Darth, as far as I'm not, I don't think that means anything, but it sounds like dark, right? Mm. And... Uh, it's true that um, a lot of them you can't tell, like ossuary. Uh, I had to look that up. I had no idea what that was, other than it was something to do with the graveyard. But um, in many cases, you can sort of tell what a word means by how it feels in your mouth, you know? It sounds scary. Therefore, it's a scary word. 
Yeah, I knew Hori was bad, but I didn't know exactly. H-O-A-R-Y. Mm-hmm. I didn't know exactly what it meant. <laughs> and what does it mean? It just means, like, I think gray-white. Yeah. Um, there's a... I don't think it's in this story, but there's another one that... Uh, there's a, like, deep red one. Yeah. Um, it's pretty impressive. Uh, and the other thing that's going on in this story that's very unusual for Lovecraft is sort of an extended dialogue scene. <laughs> mm, yeah. Well, I, I think he uses words in general for atmosphere, though. Like, if you read it out loud or when you listen to it out loud, yeah. you really notice that kind of stuff. Absolutely. Like, um, I was giving examples of it last night. I wish I could find them. But, like, a repeated S sound throughout a sentence sure. or, you know, a lot of alliteration. Yeah. It happens throughout the story. And yeah. it just has a really strong effect, I think, to add more horror to it. Um, I have my students read it aloud as well. Um, and I'll see if I can find, I think I just bought, yeah, this, uh, fascination. There it is. Ah, okay. This is a beautiful line. He says, um, uh, it seems to me rather merciful that I do not, for there were, they were terrible studies, which I pursued more through reluctant fascination than through actual inclination. Hmm. Um, so he, he studies these things. Not because he wants to. And it's not like, I, yeah, these are very interesting. Um, it's because he's compelled to do it. And that sort of makes me think also about Harley Warren being, he says, Harley Warren dominated him, right? And sometimes he scared me. And I'm thinking, yeah, that all fits with the uh, Harley Warren being a very mean guy, practical joker, scaring the crap out of his friend. Well, Lovecraft does use Randolph Carter again in several other stories. And in a later one, The Silver Key, mm-hmm. you get kind of a, a, a potted biography. And it explains where this story comes in his chronology. Ah. And essentially, mm-hmm. he's turned... He's, he was a prodigious dreamer. He lost the power to enter this magical dream world, which relates to the novel The Dream Quest of Unknown Cadeth. Um, and to try and fill this gap, he first turns to religion doesn't doesn't work out for him he embraces the sciences doesn't work out for him and then to try and get this kind of mystical thrill he takes up with strange dark occultists like mr warren Mm. and he's kind of not just he's not so much seeking forbidden knowledge he's almost like a an occult thrill seeker yeah Hmm. you know one of the things that i really like about lovecraft is how we're always one discovery away from doom, mm. you know, and you know, like uh, Jenny was saying, you know, did he put the cover back on or the the lid back on the mausoleum? You know, so we're one lid away from total doom, mm-hmm. you know, and that's a that's an interesting. Um, I don't know. It's a recurring thing in all the stories that I've read by Lovecraft. You know, yeah. Um, but I think it's it's fascinating. And it works for me. It's uh, you know. Unknown universe, things that are things that are bigger than you that um, are the the horror in them is how indifferent they are. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we're we're nothing compared to these things, and you know we're like ants. Hmm. Um, I think you know that's fascinating to read that stuff. Although it probably could greatly help you if you didn't go around digging in graveyards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're asking for it. That's right. That's right. They're always looking in the books and. Say, hey, there should be something cool right here. (laughs) 
Let's read these words. Let's lift this cover. (laughs) Well, I mean, uh, I've been to a lot of bookstores, and uh, the only thing like a Lovecraftian book that I've ever found has been Lovecraft, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I don't find books of forgotten lore. (laughs) 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 I assume they're on Wikisource somewhere, right? Yeah. That's the changing times. I mean, now, if the Necronomicon was real, you could download it from Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) You know, there there wouldn't be six copies hidden away in in obscure (laughs) museums. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Google would scan it right in. Yeah, almost. He's out of copyright. He's been dead more than 70 years. Get it going. (laughs) So we need the audio version of the Necronomicon. (laughs) Um, Yeah, everything I know about Lovecraft. Uh, I go to this local convention every year, and every single year they have a one panel on Lovecraft, and it's always got the same guys on it, and they're kind of you know Lovecraft experts, and it's always a great hour. And um, one year, a guy brought in something that he had found in the previous year, and by found I mean he he discovered it on eBay. Somebody was selling it, but Harry Houdini, I guess, commissioned. Lovecraft to write an introduction to this book on the occult because Houdini mm. was a skeptic. So he wanted yeah. to write a book telling about how dumb this was. And, and Lovecraft, I guess, was a skeptic as well. So yeah. he commissioned Lovecraft to write this introduction. But then the book was never came about. Um, mm. But yet Lovecraft had written a bunch of it. So what this guy found on eBay was a collection of letters to Lovecraft from people like publishers. You know, some of them were rejection notes and whatever. But Lovecraft, in the margins, in little tiny script, had written the introduction to this book. He would apparently use paper. He, You know, whatever paper he had is what he'd write on. And uh, anyway, he's got it all in, uh, you know, these plastic sleeves so you can look at it. So I was able to flip through it and look at it. And wow. It was really something else. Little tiny, tiny script and margins and... You know, just everywhere where there was an empty space was taken up with with uh, print. And uh, he wrote a lot. Yeah, it was he neat. wrote a lot. Yep, he did. Yeah, he wrote more letters than he wrote fiction. Uh huh. Indeed. Yeah, There's and a, I went. You know, since since uh, you know, I've talked to those guys a little bit. I went to the university library about an hour away from where I was at, and when I was there, I looked up Lovecraft letters, and there are volumes published. Of letters to and from Lovecraft, fascinating reading. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I tried finding some. Like he wrote to Robert E. Howard. In general, there. Mm-hmm. One more again. Try try that again. Somebody, everybody's talking at once. <laughs> oh, I just said I looked for his store the letters online because all his stories are available online since they're mm-hmm. in the public domain, but it. Just seems like the letters are only in those published volumes. Mm. It's a shame because I think they inform the stories quite a bit. Yeah, uh, just have to track them down. Yeah, uh, there's definitely something to be looked into there. I mean, uh, I, I'm surprised, um, you know, that this story isn't isn't more pointed to as the a good introductory story because it's really short, gives you the idea, um, and it gives you the sort of the look. Love. This is, you know, when I was I. I think I was introduced to Lovecraft through the game, the Call of Cthulhu game, mm. which, which unlike other kinds of role-playing games, 
your character was not very important, right? Because <laughs> the idea was, don't worry about your character. Your character is going to be insane soon, <laughs> so it won't matter. And you'll just get you another character. And I'm so wait, wait a second. What do you mean? There's no leveling up and there's none of the, you know, item collecting? No, 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 no. It's not about that. It's about the storytelling. And mm-hmm. it's about, um, deal, you know, losing against inconquerable odds, right? Um, yeah. That's... that's <clears throat> The way the game is set up, and that's very different from all other kinds of storytelling, which in role-playing games, which tends to be, you know, on the Tolkien model, which is uh, you've got a character and he wanders around for a while and he goes into a tomb and finds a magic sword and comes out, escapes and moves on to a long journey into finds a magic ring and goes down into, you know, Mordor to fight some evil dudes. Right, <laughs> that's the traditional role-playing game, but in in the uh, Call of Cthulhu game, you know, you, you got a flashlight, a pistol, and neither of them are going to help you very much. In <laughs> fact, the flashlight is probably going to doom you because you're going to see what's at the bottom of that pit. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're equipped with maybe a spade and a, and a coil of wire with a telephone attached. <laughs> yeah. Well, say in the game, you know, you can buy submachine guns and weaponry, but... They're no use against yeah, the no monsters. <laughs> I mean, they, they're, they like might be exciting. Games, there's no combat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I, I think, in, uh, and unlike most role-playing games, there's a lot of time spent in libraries doing, doing uh, research about you know, forgotten books and learning Arabic and such. <laughs> <laughs> Piecing together. Yeah, I, I think it's a, it's a it's pretty uh, enduring game. I mean, Dungeons and Dragons has endured, but there's been hundreds of role-playing games that have come and gone. I think Call of Cthulhu is one of the few that has stuck around since uh, since um, Dungeons and Dragons. It's the only one that I can think of that has been around for 30 years. Yeah, at that same convention I mentioned, I've played that game two or three mm-hmm. times, and it is a lot of fun. But yeah, it's really immersive storytelling, but that is exactly right. It's all about the story. I love it. Yeah. Did you go crazy at the end? Um, <laughs> I don't know. You'll have to tell me. Lost some sanity. Oh. It's, as far as I know, I'm still sane, but I show up here every single week. So, <laughs> well, most weeks. Oh, well, that doesn't, that doesn't speak well to it. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone seen the movie From Beyond? It's based on a Lovecraft story. Yes, yes. It's, it's like from the mm. 70s. And uh, like uh, he stimulates pineal glands and they pop out of their foreheads and all these weird monsters come from a different dimension. <laughs> from 86, not the 70s. Wow. It yeah. feels like the 70s. Yeah, somehow I found that really compelling as a kid. Yeah, has any Lovecraft um, translated to the screen well? I mean, would you say that, you know that movie that you're mentioning, Tam? Is that a good movie? Is it? Would you say it's worth watching? Or, um, um, I, I think it's worth checking out. I mean, I I haven't seen it in like 20 years, but uh, mm-hmm. I mean, the one you hear about most it, uh, often engaging. is reanimated. I mean, these days, this effects in my thinker are cheesier. Uh huh. Yeah, there's there's also a reanimator and sequels to reanimator, and those are all Lovecraft stories too. Yeah, Herbert West reanimator. They are quite different from the original. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. But they are quite different from Lovecraft. Yeah. <laughs> well, they're done as comedies, really. I mean, 
it's well, yeah, splatter, splatter stick. I believe they called it. That yeah, kind of it's ridiculous, over the top gore. But uh, um, you know, I think we were talking about this a couple of shows ago about you know the Cthulhu plushie, right? doesn't make a lot of sense <laughs> except as a reaction to you know the horror you say oh it's such a cute little <laughs> horror right um in a way that's i think what the movie does with reanimator because it's lovecraft is not funny uh, he's you know he's not going for the jokes i don't think there are any jokes in any lovecraft stories they're all very straight and serious but one reaction to uh, you know, death is humor, gallows humor, perhaps. But hmm. uh, when when it's especially when it's visualized like it is in Reanimator, it's just reading it on the page. Which I I think that's an excellent story, by the way. The uh, the um, Herbert West Reanimator is a fantastic uh, Lovecraft story, and relatively short. It's it's uh, I think done in four parts. But um, that it, when you're reading it on the page, it's creepy. But when you put it on the screen, you're showing what you know necrophagus looks like. Mm-hmm. You're uh, <laughs> you're you're getting a different sense, and especially when it's not done in the dark, right? When it's done in the full light, and you've got a light shining on whatever it is that you know is being described, then it's either so horrible that you don't want to look at the screen, or it's so horrible and you laugh mm-hmm. because. Yeah. That- that's the only other reaction you can have. Run screaming out of the room. I'm not watching this or laugh at what's going on and see how ridiculous it is. Yeah, and I can see, you know, it's like fun. here with this story, the statement of Randolph Carter, if you show what he's describing, um, you're going you're gonna to ruin it. Because whatever I come up with is going to be much worse than they could show. Yeah, I think your brain is good at filling in the blackness with terrors. Mm-hmm, yeah. The funny thing is, I read a quote by Lovecraft yesterday saying that um, he could see horror in the afternoon and just in the everyday, but I don't really think that he reads it that way in his stories. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because to me, the setting is half of it, really. Right, right. It's the way he describes things, though, right? Yeah. Um, it, 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 his characters describe things the way Lovecraft describes things. So um, you could retell the statement of randolph carter as a you know a straight uh instead of the statement you're looking at the police report i I guess we've done this before if you look at the police report of what happened to harley warren and his suspect known as randolph carter it's going to be suspect uh claims to have gone into big cypress swamp into a cemetery uh gone crazy and fled the scene (laughs) it's not exactly the same thing as the the you know the dripping uh, oozing ichor <laughs> coming out of the <laughs> out of the uh, the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's all about the description. Um, I mean, let's just pick a, ra- a passage at random here, and you'll see it's all about the description. Uh, how about this one? My first vivid impression of my own par- presence in this terrible necropolis. But <laughs> 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 the necropolis, a cemetery. <laughs> concerns the act of pausing with Warren before a certain half-obliterated sepulcher. <laughs> okay, <laughs> before a half-broken gravestone. <laughs> That's not as scary if you do it straight. Real style. And of throwing down some bird pitch. Hmm? Yeah, I was going to say, it's, re- it's real style. It kind of reminds me of China Maiva, like in uh, Perdido Street Station. He really used a lot of exotic words to paint a really 
weird picture. Yeah, each word each word has a connotation, um, and then by piling them up and by punctuating the story with them. I mean, he actually repeats himself a few times, but he managed to, to I think he finds at least 15, I think I counted, uh, different features that you would find in a graveyard. And I don't think he used graveyard at all. Or if he did, it was uh, very, you know, cast off. He, he loves, he's like a word addict. He loves finding weird words and putting them into a story to generate the effect that they have upon us. Because the very story much itself so. is not yeah. as scary. Mr. Thing, Jim thing with... oh. Go for it. Go ahead. Sorry, yeah. The thing is, um, there's a lot of little writers who pastiched and wrote sort of cash in Lovecraft fiction, and they always go for these big adjectives and they just throw them in like salt and pepper, you know, just seasoned everywhere. Mm-hmm. But what you find in Lovecraft is it's orchestrated. He builds, builds up to the big, longer, and more elaborate passages, um, you know, to really bring home the horror. Whereas the copyists, they start with, it was an eldritch night, and yeah. I was feeling <laughs> squamous. And, you know, you <laughs> go ahead with it. Yeah. Uh, what does squamous mean, by the way? Any idea? <laughs> um... Rough skinned, I believe. Ah, yes. I, I'm feeling a bit squirmous myself. <laughs> um, uh, some of the stuff that stang, stands out uh, near the end in the story is the uh, what he, he calls boyish slang, right? And he says, "Beat it, beat it." <laughs> he says that like four times. Like, I guess that means run away, right? Get mm-hmm. out of here. Well, yeah, it's just like like the Michael Jackson song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thriller. I, I thought Thriller was the scary one, yeah. <laughs> huh. Uh, yeah, it sort of stands out. It, it, it feels like it, it, it's from a different time uh, from the rest of the story. But I think the dialogue at the end, uh, especially what's coming out of Harley Warren's mouth, is it's just fascinating. And it feels very dreamlike. Uh God, if you could see what I'm seeing. It's terrible, monstrous, unbelievable. What is it? <laughs> I can't tell you. It's utterly beyond thought. <laughs> okay. And he uses regular words. Yeah. As opposed to the other guy. Mm. I read uh, Lovecraft had a lot of night terrors as a kid, and that probably influenced his writing. Yeah. Uh, that sounds right to me. I mean, I think everybody has nightmares as a kid. I, I don't I don't usually have nightmares anymore. But I, I had one last week. Uh, I dreamt that the comic book store had closed. Oh, no. I know. <laughs> like 20 years. No, it wasn't. I mean, I wasn't afraid. I was just very saddened. That's scary to me. I didn't know where I was going to get my comics. Uh, I had this dream that DC just started over at number one with all the comics. That's horrible. <laughs> that is pretty horrible. I hope oh, it never yeah. comes through. Oh, too late. <laughs> there it is. Too late. <laughs> now, uh, I want to ask about this, too. At the end of the story, uh, we've got this wonderful, wonderful line that explains everything, right? And it goes uh, like this. 
And then there came the crowning horror of all, the unbelievable, unthinkable, almost unmentionable thing. I have said that eons seemed to elapse before Warren shrieked forth his last despairing warning. And this is all a description of what comes next. And that my own cries now broke the hideous silence. But after a while, there was a further clicking on the receiver, and I strained my ears again. I called down, Warren, are you there? And in answer, the thing mm -hmm. which had brought this cloud over my mind. I do not, gentlemen, to try to account for all that this, un, uh, this thing, that voice, nor can I venture. Mm -hmm. Oops. Sorry. Mm -hmm. uh, calling. <laughs> I'm not going to answer that then. Um, that voice, nor can I venture and describe in detail since the last words took away my consciousness. Blah, 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 blah. He goes on and on and on, describes how horrible this, this thing is. And the thing is what was said at the end, right? And he says, how shall I describe this voice? Deep? Hollow? Gelatinous? And I'm thinking, gelatinous? Really? Like, what the? Remote? eating jello or something. Remote, I get. Unearthly, I get that. Inhuman, disembodied, but gelatinous? What does a gelatinous... I can answer this one. Okay. <laughs> it's, it's a rip-off from Poe. That's where he gets gelatinous from. Hmm. Um, it's the idea of this bubbling voice made perhaps by a rotting corpse. Ah, because it's from all nice. it's of, um, facts in the case of M. Valdemar, right. where the dead man speaks. Um, Poe describes it, uh, say, as in the second place, it impressed me. I fear indeed it would be impossible to make myself comprehended as gelatinous or glutinous. Matters impress the sense of touch. You, <laughs> creepy. Yeah, that that's a that's a creepy story, and that that involves hypnotism, and a a guy who's like hypnotized to uh, at the point he of dies death. in the trance. Yeah, he, he he's hypnotized at the point of death, and then he's still alive after he's dead or something. Well, that's right. He continues to speak after he's died, and his body doesn't decay. And um, they keep him in this state for several months. And at the end, the big shock is they bring him out of the trance thinking, well, we can't explain this. Let's just give up. And when they break the trance, the body instantly putrefies. Yeah. Well, that actually explains something that's going on earlier in the story, too. Because Harley Warren uh, apparently was telling, before, the night before they went into the Big Cypress Swamp, um, Harley Warren was telling... Uh, Randolph Carter, that they had, uh, that he had a theory about why certain corpses never decayed. Remember that? That's right, right yeah, yeah. And they stay fat and firm uh, in their tombs for thousands of years. They're all hypnotized. <laughs> Perhaps. But, Another interpretation I was thinking of was... Um, Maybe someone speaks gelatinously if they have something in their mouth. <laughs> <laughs> or they're made of like jello. <laughs> well, or like the guy that or went Holly down Warren. there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because at that point, he's not speaking anymore. <laughs> well, that's, so that's what I'm saying. You know, the thing that broke his mind, the thing that broke, <laughs> broke him with reality, is what was said on the phone, which is, 
you fool, Warren is dead. After he's been saying, well, what's going on down there? For (laughs) interminable eons, he's been talking into the telephone. And the thing at the bottom of the pit says, you fool, Warren is dead, like it's mad. (laughs) It says, shut up, I'm busy. Hang or whatever. <laughs> Get off the line. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, 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 if you think about it, it doesn't. Why would it? Why would the whatever it is say that? I mean, the only reason is because it's become annoyed by by his <laughs> talking into the phone. It, it's uh, very strange. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess you wouldn't expect something to talk back. And then it no. really shocked him when it didn't. Yeah, it clearly, clearly it shocked him. Shocked him, shocked him all, all the way out of the Cypress Swamp. I, I, I think that this is a really fantastic story because it leaves everything open to the interpretation at the end. But um, it, it's done as a statement. And so you get sort of all the backstory as well. There's a witness. Somebody saw them walking along. That's how they know to ask him these questions. They don't believe him. He keeps having to repeat his story. <laughs> but he has the presence of mind to use all these wonderful adjectives. <laughs> <laughs> Very evocative. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I was going to mention, I read uh, Demons by John Shirley, and it, it's kind of like this. Um, these demons come out in uh, present day and kind of take over the world. Mm-hmm. <laughs> It kind of reminds me of the story. Yeah, I guess that could be uh, what happened when he didn't cover up that. Uh, right. It's a sequel. Well, I haven't read any of the other Randolph Carter stories, but isn't this just the first one? Uh, this is the first one he wrote. Uh, the next one's called The Unnameable, in which is um, Randolph Carter arguing with a friend, because Carter apparently is a writer of weird fiction. Which explains why his statement's so flowery, perhaps. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And his friend says, you're always going on at things that are unnameable and indescribable, and that's rubbish. <laughs> uh, and of course, his friend has an encounter with um, a blasphemous thing, and in the end, the punchline is just, I can't it, it, it was the unnameable. It's almost like a, a riposte to the criticisms of, people who said oh come on what the damn thing what is it tell us Spit it out. Mm-hmm. that's that's how my students react i say so i, I say so here what you're going to do for your assignment is write a paragraph describing what was down there and uh i say and you have to use the text to give you you know inform your answer so when you say it's a it's a giant zombie right i say well what about this thing where it says the, there are legions of them and i say your giant zombie theory doesn't work so, <laughs> mm-hmm. it's made up of little zombies. They're tiny zombies. Okay. <laughs> okay. Giant yeah, zombie made up of little zombies. zombies talk great. at the end, you know? <laughs> and they're like, so after they do the assignment and everybody reads their answers and we're all like nodding our heads, like, oh, yeah, that's pretty scary. Um, <laughs> then they, they say, so what, what, what's really down there? And they turn to me like I'm, like I know the answer. And I'm, no, I have no idea. It's really creepy. Whatever it is, I don't want to go down there. I have no should, idea what's down there. Should publish that. <laughs> uh, publish. The, you mean the the descriptions, the various descriptions yeah. of what's down there? Uh, I think I think that 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 actually be pretty fun. Yeah, it's a good idea. Definitely, that'd be wonderful. <laughs> it's 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 really squamous. <laughs> 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 Whatever it is. Have you, have you guys 
Have you seen this Wikipedia entry? It's like the longest Wikipedia entry I've ever seen. For I didn't love Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, people love to write about him. Absolutely. I mean, he's. Uh, this is a really interesting case because could could not get too. H.P. Lovecraft is almost completely public domain, right? Um, and you don't see even this kind of devotion to uh, Arthur, not Arthur, like a. So Arthur Conan Doyle doesn't even have this kind of, you know, passionate devotion. People love Sherlock Holmes, but they don't care so much about uh, the author as much as they care about Sherlock Holmes. Whereas people seem to think Lovecraft is his stories, right? Lovecraft has become a character. And I know there are examples of, you know, the, you know, you put Edgar Allan Poe in a movie about an Edgar Allan Poe story. That happens fairly often these days where you take the mm-hmm. the character and you mix it with the with the author and then you make a new story out of that i think wasn't there a, a john carpenter movie where the main character's name was was uh lovecraft or something like that i i think i think there was something like that or i'm not sure yeah what was it called jim mr jim moon would know it's the one with uh sam neill uh, in the mouth of madness. In the mouth of madness. So that is, is the, that one was, of the better Lovecraftian movies, even though it's not actually directly based on any particular story. But that one does get the feel of Lovecraft's mythos and best, I think. Hmm. Yeah, I, I think it, it's actually not a great movie, but um, I think it does give you the feel. Definitely, definitely. So yeah, um, yeah. I posted a link where he appears in different fiction. He's on TV show oh. Supernatural. He was on Scooby Doo. He's on Supernatural. Yeah, Lovecraft. Isn't the Supernatural like a current show, like a modern? Yeah, day? 2010. No, no, but it's set in the modern day. Was he a ghost? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, I guess he, they brought him back. I don't know. Interesting. I didn't see it. I wouldn't mind seeing that episode, seeing what they do with it. Yeah. Hmm. Yep. I, I'm, I've been reading a comic book uh, from, I think it was Image, that was uh, a, a story that mixes H.P. Lovecraft into his own stories and uh, set in the 1920s. I mean, that, that's the other thing is um, in the Lovecraft game, everybody wants to play the H.P. Lovecraft game called Call of Cthulhu. Everybody wants it to be set in the time uh, that H.P. Lovecraft was alive. But there's no real need for that. Um, you know, you could have it in the modern day with cell phones. You could have it uh, in the Middle Ages. But people seem to like the, you know, the early 20th century technology, you know, telephones with cables and mm-hmm. uh, Tommy guns and that sort of thing. <laughs> Wire recording. Yeah. I think it's a very romantic period because it, the 20s have kind of, they have the feel of almost Victoriana, but also the recognizably modern with all these beginning technologies. Technology, yeah. And that's, and I'm that's selling the, and sending you a telegram <laughs> about the horrible things that have happened to me. Stop. It's <laughs> <laughs> coming down the hall. Stop. <laughs> I need your stuff up. Stop. You know what? I think that if that hasn't been done, somebody's going to do that soon. <laughs> <laughs> Warren, you are... Uh, I'm dead, you fool. Stop. <laughs> <laughs> There's a new Lovecraft anthology coming uh, with David Barr Kirtley and other people. 
It's called the new Cthulhu. It's coming out like in November. Oh, that'll uh, be good. Oh, Hopefully, it'll be on audio too. Nice to be uh, seeing some some sort of remix stuff that hopefully will have some new stuff in it because um, I'm not I'm not such a big fan of the I guess there's other people who wrote in the Cthulhu Missiles. Um, uh, August did Robert E. Howard do it? Yeah, Robert E. Howard I think did a fairly good job. Uh, the other one that I think that's how I found Mr. Jim Moon was through uh, the Black Stone, which which is yes, a, right. a Lovecraftian yes. story, if not mm. a uh, Cthulhu Mythos story. Is it? Do you think it's a Cthulhu Mythos story? Is it? Uh, yes, yeah, it is. It is because Lovecraft has referenced it, and um, other writers have referenced it. And that, if you remember right, that's got a, a great old one called Gold Goroff, who appears in other other fiction as well around the Cthulhu mythos so that's very much part of it I think I that that's Brian a pretty good story mm. uh, the, the other one from his who used to correspond with his great friend Clark Ashton Smith wrote some cracking Cthulhu mythos stories as well mm. uh, and he sort of, also overlapped with Robert E. Howard because um, he wrote about ancient ancient stories sort of like Robert Howard like Howard's Cone and stuff, set in like Hyperborea, um, mm-hmm. um, Lost Lands of Mu and Volusia. And actually, strictly speaking, Conan is part of the Cthulhu mythos. <laughs> how so? How so? Um, because it is, there is like um, a Cthulhu mythos history of the world, the real secret history that goes back to these lost civilizations in these dark ages where... I mean, originally the Earth was colonized by the old ones from outer space, then the great race of Yith, then the Mygo, then the it Serpent. Sounds like Scientology to me. What are you talking about? Are you talking about <laughs> this being real, or are you saying like the stories can be connected? Uh, well, it's, it's the way they all fit together. Because so, Howard, he wrote about Atlantis and um, Hyperborea, and sure. Clark Ashton Smith and Lovecraft fitted all references to these in as well. And kind of in the Lovecraftian expanded universe it's kind of mankind was created by these aliens in the first place um and there is a school of thought that says <laughs> says l ron hubbard was a pulp writer and was familiar with this and that's why scientology is so similar <laughs> yeah it's, po- it's, it's possible more more nuclear bombs and such but i don't know uh, i i think i i i like i know that it's been done where people put Conan in a you know he's fighting some giant squid monster or something, but usually it's not you know explicitly referenced. And I know other Howard stuff is is more connected. Like um, there's there's a a story about Picts and they live underground and that the, uh, people of the dark people of the of dark the earth. Yeah, yeah worms of the earth uh, mm. worms of the earth uh, and there's there's lots of sort of quasi. Um, Conan-like stories. There's one, uh, uh, maybe it's Worms of the Earth. That's the one with Picts and uh, sort of a Aryan group of guys, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. some hero guy. Yeah. So yeah, there's some sort of connection. But um, I, I, I also like, I guess Lovecraft's non, uh, not Lovecraft's, uh, Howard's. Howard's non-Lovecraftian, uh, like Pigeons from Hell, I don't think is anything, that's not a uh, Lovecraftian story, is it? It's not a um, Some people think it is, but I just think it's just a cracking horror tale, personally. Yeah, it's just like um, a, mm. 
a guy, a couple of guys are on the road. They stop at a house. Why did they stop there to sleep in it or something? Yeah, and, just just. And then uh, they go upstairs, and one of them is murdered, and and then he comes back to life, and and then he runs off, and basically it's the end of the story, just like this one. We've got a cop who doesn't, you know, <laughs> says you, you've got a quite a tale to tell there, son. <laughs> Told in a different way. They really don't have the same storytelling technique, Lovecraft and Howard. Well, no, well, I mean, Lovecraft's heroes tend to faint and go mad. Howard's heroes tend to try and punch them. (laughs) (laughs) Chop them up, Roughly speaking. That's a good point. Howard had a simpler vocabulary, right? Uh, I don't know if that's true. I don't think he was in love with the, the, the floweriness of synonyms. But he he had a pretty amazing vocabulary himself. I think I think he sort of was a collector, like Lovecraft, of of words and ideas. And I remember I was reading I think it was last week. Um, he was sending letters to uh, magazines he wanted to write for, and he was asking if there was like, uh, what's the what's the uh, Manchurian word for sword, <laughs> and <laughs> and uh, do they practice polygamy? Because <laughs> he's writing a story <laughs> set, you know, in I don't know, outer Mongolia or whatever. <laughs> um, he wants to he wants to just tell the story and and then have a few vocabulary words to throw in there. I think I think Lovecraft was in love with words, and I think uh, Howard was more like he he used them to tell the adventure he was telling. He wasn't as much in love with them, I don't think. Yeah, well, okay. apparently Lovecraft did take Howard to task over a lot of the names he used. Because he was saying, look, Robert, you're, this Conan story, you're, you know, you invented this whole era. You can't use a name like Toph Ammon. That's Egyptian. It's the wrong period. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he really, I mean, if you look at the names of the places, they're all stolen. Um, and they don't fit with the geography very well, like Punt and uh, Kush, right? The Hindu Kush is not mm. not in Africa. <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh, Samaria is a real place, right? But it's not yeah, yeah. In the north. It's in uh, it's in the east. And so he's he's just sort of and Picts, right? I mean, he's he's he he seems a little less mature, and I guess he was younger. Um, but he seems a little more like, ah, let's throw this in. And he sort of wants to get in on the fight um, to, get, to get stuff done. And he had a lot, lot of storytelling to do. He was a storyteller, I think, first. And I think Lovecraft was a crafter. <laughs> you know, he was, he was crafting a, an effect. He loved his craft. He did. He really <laughs> did. And he didn't seem to care whether they sold or not. Uh, you know, it seemed to be like... It's he's not he's he's not trying to sell to the market where I think think Howard was more more he wanted to tell stories, but he didn't mind what kind of market he would sell to. I, did Lovecraft write anything that wasn't Lovecraftian? Do you know, Mr. Jim Moon? Um, he, he wrote a lot of poetry because uh, he was very much involved in like the the fanzines of the day. Mm-hmm. Most of his poetry um, is kind of uh, not fantastical in the slightest um he oh, writes some very good poem 
Oh, some of it is, but a lot more um, are quite like, they're humorous and, you know, he's trying to write like the old uh, Georgian poets and hmm. do typical poety things. So they've got lots of poems about, you know, to autumn and on the change of the seasons. And he used to write friends poetry for poems for their birthdays. And hmm. Any, Anything romantic? Um, there's, there's a few, but he wrote a few to uh, for his... The lady you married briefly, if I recall correctly. Mm. He got a couple of stories out of that. When he went to New York, he wrote a, he wrote some sort of um, yellow peril story, I think. Uh, yeah, that's the the horror at Red Hook. Yeah, um, which is, I mean, Lovecraft's often famously berated for his racist views, um, but it doesn't really show in his fiction. Not compared to Howard's. No, Howard is some of raging racist very, uh, in most of yeah. most of the the stuff. I mean, he's obsessed with race. If 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 it, if 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 there's a group of people, he's got to mention you know whether they're devolving <laughs> or, <laughs> or or highly superior strain or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think Lovecraft was uh, had some of that, but it, it, he was more focused on the monsters. Well, he was what he he's often has degeneration in his stories, but mm, it's a general yeah. degeneration of humanity, and right. it's actually it's usually it's actually respectable white folks degenerating. <laughs> it's where a lot yeah, of his horror they're turning into from. fish people. Damn it! Yes, that's yeah. what happens when you go fishing too much. <laughs> Turn into fish people. Cool. Well, I think we're getting pretty close to the end. What do you guys think? For a 17-minute story? Uh, I was <laughs> going to mention Clive Barker, like Hellraiser. He, he's probably an influence on Clive Barker. Oh, no doubt. No doubt. Not that I've actually read his books. <laughs> I've just seen Pinhead in the movie. He's, uh, I've read him, and uh, he's, he's, uh, he's not really the same. He's not okay. working in the exact same tradition, but he's definitely a horror writer. Um. And he's 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 into creeping you out. That's for sure. I guess I'm just thinking of the Hellraiser movies where these creepy creatures from another dimension are coming out when you solve the little puzzle. <laughs> so you're one yeah. puzzle box away from doom. That's right. <laughs> yeah. There are other similarities though, because um, Barker from his he made his name writing horror, but his later books he's gone to more, more fantastic sort of territory, kind of like dark fantasy. And there's kind of, a lot of those revolve around sort of hidden secret magical worlds, characters flit in and out of, which is quite Lovecraftian. Not so much Cthulhu Lovecraftian, but it's kind of quite similar to some of his other work, like dealing with the dreamlands. Mm. Yeah. And, and Barker too, does like his flowery language. As a yes. friend of mine said, I, I love the plots, but can he stop writing like a damn Victorian? <laughs> Cut down a bit. <laughs> over his career, his books get thicker and thicker and thicker. It's true. I, I heard and there's like weird dreams and stuff like that as well, I think. Oh, Are you like weird sex scenes in those fantasy books? Yeah, he likes... He likes uh, I, I think that's something Lovecraft doesn't have. I don't think there's any sex in any of his stories. Um, and Very chaste. Well, I think they're you know they're they're spending a lot of time in those forbidden libraries and and they've got some sort of passion, but it's not it's it's for it's a reluctant fascination, right? <laughs> um, 
I don't know. I'm a big fan of Lovecraft. Mm-hmm. Endlessly fascinating. <laughs> it, people seem to get obsessed with his, his books in the same way that Lovecraft's characters are obsessed with their books. I guess they're relating to something. Maybe. It's interesting stuff. This has been the SFF Audio Podcast. Please join us at www.sffaudio.com.